0: Holy Father, thank you that we are able to be here today. We think about your word where you told us through your son, Jesus Christ, that wherever there are two people or three people who meet together in your name because of you, you are there with them. And we think about what you said to Uh, Your disciples, just before you returned to heaven, Lord Jesus, you said, I'm with you always until the end of this age. And we're glad to be here in your name today. We're glad to be here uh, as Christians, we're glad to be here to uh, hear from you. And so we pray that you would give us your grace today, God, that you would help us. To really hear your word. Um, We know very well how easily your truth can come to us and just slide right off of our minds and hearts like water off of a duck. And we pray that that would not be the case for us today. We pray that your words would uh, instead be like seeds that sink down and take root in the soil of our hearts and that we would have our minds changed and that we would have our emotions changed, and that we would, uh, by your grace, change uh, something about the way that we live through your word to us today. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus Christ through these words. We need your grace for that. It's just as you said, Lord Jesus, to your students when they asked how anybody could be saved, you said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so we pray that you would do what only you can do in our hearts today, and that you would show your greatness through that. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder um, why you are here today. A lot of people in this room, and uh, each person has their own life, their own reasons for doing one thing or another. Um, and so, I wonder why you 're here today. Fortunately, my youngest son has already gone to children 's church or might be tempted to shout out for the food. <laughs> I hope that uh, no one else uh, shouts that out anyway if you 're tempted, just overcome it. Uh, but really, um, what are you, what are you doing here what are, What are any of us doing here? That question is the question that I want us to Uh, kind of reflect on this morning, because I think once we can answer that question of what we're doing here, we're going to be able to see something uh, really powerful and really meaningful from God's word, Uh, something that I hope by God's grace can direct us to how we can be more like Christ, something that um, Pastor Nate and I have discussed uh, for a while and he asked me to bring this message to sort of reflect on this. But I want to suggest that there are two reasons that you're here this morning, right? A lot of ways we can answer that question. But fundamentally, there are two reasons that you're here this morning. The first reason is because God is doing something in this world. And secondly, because every person in this room is part of what God is doing. That's why you're here. So let's just reflect on that for a second. What is God doing in this world? God has not made the world and then moved on to other projects. God is still here working actively in this world. And his work is to communicate his truth and to show his love. Uh, I'm going to quickly just mention a number of passages as we go through this, uh, this first part of the message. And so you're welcome to turn to them if you want to, but we won't take the time to turn and read to each one. We will do that in the second part. But if we're asking what it is that God is doing in the world, for example, the Lord Jesus answers that question in John 3, in this very famous verse you probably know, John three sixteen, and what comes after it. Jesus says, God is here in this world, active, not to condemn the world. God is not acting in this world to condemn the world. He is here to save it. Now that sounds like a pretty big task. Like something probably that God would do without any reference to me or to you. But in the very next breath, Jesus says that there is something actually for people to do because he says that God has sent his messenger, Jesus, and whoever believes that message will be saved. And whoever doesn't believe will reject God's plan to save them and will be condemned. So God has this plan, and at the same time, everyone who encounters that has their own thing to do. And in fact, later on, uh, over in chapter 20, Jesus says that everyone who has already heard and believed that message should carry it to other people who haven't. There are other ways to look at what God is doing in the world. In Ephesians 2, for example, God says that his purpose in the world today is to show the incredible wealth of his kindness to us in Jesus. Or in the next chapter, the scriptures tell us that in fact God's goal is to demonstrate how great his wisdom is. God wants to show his kindness to us, and God wants to show his great wisdom not only to us, but to spiritual entities that we're not even really familiar with. It says to authorities and powers in the heavenly realms, these other people that God is working with. And in Colossians one twenty, the scriptures tell us that ultimately God's purpose is to reconcile everything to himself, everything in heaven, everything on earth. These are some pretty big plans. These are some pretty big goals. But in every one of those passages, if we took the time, which we can't do this morning, uh, this afternoon, if we took the time to read the larger context, we would see that God's goal is to do those things, but not just to do them by himself while everybody sits back and watches. His goal is to do those things through the church, through his people. So that means that when we look around at this world that God is working in, this world that he's active in, where he wants to show his truth and and show his love, part of the way that God does that is going to be what we see when we look in the mirror. God intends to do these things through us. God wants every person to hear the truth That we're estranged from our creator. And the good news that Jesus has come to reconcile us, right? We know that. Who's going to tell people that? Well, you are and I am. God wants to do good to hurting and needy people around the world. When we look at what Jesus did when he was here on this earth, he was constantly taking time to meet the needs of needy people. He wants us to carry that forward. How does he want us to do that? Well, he wants you to do that, and he wants me to do that. God intends for the the societies that we live in to be peaceful and to be just, and he talks a great deal about this in the Old Testament as he communicates to the rulers that he's chosen for his people. How does he want that to be promoted today in the world that we live in through you and through me. God wants his good character to be known everywhere, for people to know who he is and what he's like. Who's going to highlight that? You and me. God wants for his people to become more and more like him day by day in the things that we value, in the way that we think, in our emotions, and in our our love for other people. And so who's going to implement that? I mean, you get the idea, right? These are all things that God is doing in the world. He's doing them through his people, through us. Now, at this point, uh, I think we could have one of two responses, or maybe we could have both responses. We think about this. One thing we could think is, wow, that's really great. God is doing all this great stuff in the world and he wants me to be working with him. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we have become co-workers with God in these kinds of things. That is is pretty awesome. Alternately, you might think, or even also, you might think, Oh, no. Because being a part of God's project in the world, that sounds like an extremely tall order. I don't know about you, but uh, I personally did not make it through this past week without messing up some of my work at home and at the job that I'm paid to do. And so the idea that I am entrusted with carrying forward the work of God can be sometimes not empowering at all, but terrifying and intimidating. I mean, I forgot to send an email to one of these clients, and it caused a big problem for my coworker. So what happens if I do that with God? I think we can really feel like that, right? We can really really feel that way. This is not great, actually. This is terrible. And maybe God should ask someone else to do this. That may sound familiar to you. Because there were individuals in the Bible who responded exactly that way. One of the things, though, that is really encouraging at this point is to realize that God's answer to the question, how do I do the work of God, begins with prayer. And that is really important because prayer is not like any other work that we do. All the other things that we do in our lives, the other work that we do, maybe our employment where we're paid to do something or maybe the projects that we're involved in around the, the home or with our family members or whatever, virtually all of those have to do with our skill, our expertise, our experience, things that we've learned things that we've studied, things that we've practiced. There's a reason that my wife has made the dinner that we're sharing in tonight's potluck and not my son. All the things that we bring forward in our lives in that way, they come out of things that we've worked hard to produce and to create and to shape ourselves to be able to do. But prayer is not like that. Nobody brings expertise to prayer people might bring expertise to a prayer service and perform very expertly but in terms of real prayer real communication with God nobody brings any expertise it's not about your skill it's not about your charisma it's not about your experience that you're drawing on to really pray it up very well instead the work of prayer is accomplished through our honest our heartfelt dependence on and trust in god and so in that way prayer is kind of like a negative of most of the other things that we do it does require a great deal of our own intentionality we actually do pray But the things that make our work so valuable in so many areas don't apply to prayer. Because prayer is us coming to God to ask God to do something. And when we realize that, we start to see things in this scripture that are really helpful. Because every one of those areas of God's work that I mentioned a moment ago, Every one of those areas are things that God tells us he wants to be done through prayer. So let's think for a moment. I mentioned, first of all, that God wants to communicate the message, the good news of Jesus Christ to people all over the world, right? And we're familiar with that. But Jesus, in Luke 10, too, tells his own apostles to pray that God would send people. You know this passage? Jesus is there. He's in this village in Samaria, and he looks at these fields, and he says, look, see these fields? They're, they're ready to be harvested. I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into his harvest. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the apostles, his apostles. This is not some kind of like prayer like, and so if you can go out and do something amazing for God, you should, but if you can't hack it, then why don't you pray that God will send someone cool? God said that the apostle Peter and John and James, those guys should pray that. Right? This is where the work of the gospel starts and those same apostles turn around and all throughout their letters for example in Paul's letter uh, to the Thessalonian church in 2nd Thessalonians 3 they t- turn around and tell their friends in other places and other churches to help them by prayer right 2nd Thessalonians 3 Paul says pray for us that the word of God would run and be glorified, or that it would, it would go forward, that there would be great success in the preaching of God's word. So this work of God in the gospel, it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Or we mentioned that God uh, calls on us to meet the needs of the needy. Well, the Apostle James, one of the people we just mentioned, tells us that we should pray for the sick. Right? pray for the sick. People are sick. We should pray for them. And the apostle Paul says the same thing. If anyone's sick, let him pray. It's true. It's true that God wants our societies to be marked by peace and justice. But in the same way, the scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God wants us to first do that work by prayer. He says in 1 Timothy 2, I want you to pray for kings or whoever's in authority over you. Pray what? That you'd be able to live a quiet, peaceful life. Right? Serving God, honestly. That there would be this this kind of stable, peaceful life that God wants people to live. That seems hard. Yeah, it is hard, and it starts with prayer. What about people knowing and respecting God for his character? Well, what's the very first thing that Jesus tells his disciples to pray for when they say, Lord, teach us how to pray? He says, okay, I'm going to teach you. First, say, our Father in heaven, and then what's the first thing to pray for? May your name be respected. Right? He doesn't say, okay, first, everyone sit down, take out your apologetics textbooks. That has a place. That's useful. But it starts with these prayers. And it's true, certainly, that God's will for each one of us is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That is a key part of the work of God. But that work itself relies on prayer. That's the kind of thing, that we see prayed for more often than anything else in the letters in the New Testament. Right? I don't know uh, if you remember the last time I spoke here. It was quite a while ago. But we talked about this prayer that Paul prays in Philippians chapter 1. And he says that he prays for these people that they would know and that they would understand the greatness of God's love and that they would be transformed by it. Right? These are the kind of things that are critical to the mission of God. This is God's plan for the world, that these things would happen and that we would do them, but that we would do them, first of all, through our prayers. And that's tremendously freeing. Because even if I don't know how to do any of those things or make those things happen, certainly I could ask God to do them. Now, there's one more piece <clears throat> that's missing. Let's go back to where we started. My, my original question for you was, why are you here today? And uh, we could ask it maybe this way. Why are you not out somewhere doing these things? Why are you not out doing the work of God? I mean, the time that it took you to get to church today you could have been praying the whole time, right? So why did you come here? The, the missing piece here is other people. That's the missing piece. The missing piece in this answer is that God does not call us to do any of these things on our own. He wants us to do these things together. And God does not call us To pray on our own, he calls us to pray together. There's a a great little book on prayer that first drew my attention to this interesting thing by John uh, Onwachequa. It's just called Prayer. Super good book. And in it, he points out that when we read about the apostles, uh, uh, about the Lord's Prayer, we read about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Right? We won't turn there because it doesn't help. You can't see it in English. But Matthew 6 is part of this big section that we call uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is there. He's talking to people, and he's teaching them about many different things. And his instruction has this long section on morality, right, where he talks about, like, uh, you, you might think adultery is like this. You've heard it said that adultery was like this, but actually it's like that. You've heard it said that hatred is really like this, but actually it's like that. You've heard it said that these things were true, but actually those things were true, right? All through that section, Jesus is speaking to individuals. He's using what in the uh, language teaching world we call singular pronouns. So he's saying, you, you guy right there, you should not commit adultery. Or you, lady over there, you should not hate but when he moves into talking about prayer in chapter 6 he switches from singular pronouns to plural pronouns and in fact this is part of this is visible in the language of the lord's prayer that we're very familiar with so he says when you pray pray this way and when he says you he's not saying you guy or you lady over there he's saying when you pray together when all of you pray you should pray this way. And then what does he say? was the first phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. He doesn't say, you should pray this way, my Father in heaven. He says, you should pray this way, our Father in heaven. And when he comes down to the later part, he doesn't say, uh, and forgive me my debts. He doesn't say, you should pray for God to forgive you for your sins. He says, forgive us our debts. Right? The work of God through prayer is meant to be done with our brothers and sisters, not just by each of God's people separately doing their own thing, but by God's people together. So let's try to put all these bits together here. God is doing a great work in the world. God is rescuing people. He's transforming people. He's showing his character in the world. And he wants that work to be done by his people. And the way that we carry that work forward begins with prayer. Not with a bunch of hard effort and special skills, although it might include all that. But it begins with prayer. And that prayer is first and foremost Prayer with God's people together. Certainly, there's an important place for individual prayer. In fact, Pastor Nate talked about that not too long ago. We saw Jesus' prayers, right? But even many of Jesus' prayers are together with his students. So, what we're talking about then is something important, something central. This is how we carry forward the work of God, by praying together together that God's work would be done. Let's let's think about how practically that could be done. There are some things that we do here with that, right? So we do this when we pray together in our church worship services. Somebody leads in prayer. Everybody else quietly prays along in their heart. You might have noticed that Pastor Nate invites, he specifically invites you when he begins this prayer on Sundays. He invites you to pray with him, right? So here we are. We're all praying together as Pastor Nate leads us or somebody else prays and leads us. This is one way. Or maybe through prayers uh, in, at table time, after table time. We have a little time for prayer, maybe 10 minutes, right? We're praying together. Or at other times like that. Maybe we have a, a Bible study or something like that. And there are a ton of different ways that other churches do it. Maybe you've been to other churches that had prayer meetings where you'd come to meet together on a certain time or a certain day just to pray. Or through prayer chains where people are given different times to pray together so that you're sort of passing the prayer off. Or through prayer breakfasts or through any other number of things. What I want to suggest today, um, something that Pastor Nate and I have talked about at length, is something that we hope will be really helpful to the people of Beaumont Baptist Church. It's something that during uh, my years in Shanghai, the years that we worked in Shanghai, was deeply transformative. We did a lot of different ministry things when we lived in Shanghai. And and they were all good, and they were all helpful and a blessing in their own way. But as I look back at the things that made the biggest difference for me personally in my life, two things rise to the top. One was our weekly Bible study, and the other was our practice of prayer partnerships. And so it's prayer partnerships that I want to bring forward to you this afternoon and suggest that this is one way, not the only way, certainly, but it's one way that God can do the great work that he has through his people a way that has been very helpful for me in the past for the people in our ministry in the past in a way that uh, really has many benefits for our church and for us as individual brothers and sisters in Christ what are we talking about we say we can effectively do God's work by partnering together in prayer what does that mean well well The first part of this is that prayer partnerships are partnerships. They are not corporations. So you have a corporation, that means you got tons of people all together, right? Partnerships are a couple of people. And so our practice of prayer partnerships was to encourage everybody in our assembly to have one or two other people that they would meet with regularly for prayer. You would have somebody that you were that you were meeting with for an entire semester or sometimes for longer. Uh, one of my very good brothers there, he and I met together weekly for prayer, and we had things that interrupted us, but we did it more or less uninterruptedly for about 12 years. And so we would meet together every week, and uh, we would pray through the work of the assembly and through a lot of things. And so that's the idea. Some people did it with three people together, with four people together. But you don't want to get more than that. Prayer partnerships don't uh, maintain their effectiveness beyond that number because of what we're going to talk about next, which is that when you meet together for prayer, you really need to do so not brilliantly, not to do all kinds of cool, impressive praying, Because that, brothers and sisters, is pride. You meet together honestly. I wonder how many people there are in your life that you speak to very honestly about your spiritual challenges, about the things that are happening in your life, the good things and the bad things. I hope that there's at least one person. But I'm pretty confident in saying that in a a group of people this size, there are a good number of people here for whom there are zero people. Zero people that you speak very honestly to about what's happening in your life. And so I want to say, brothers and sisters, and we'll see this in the scripture in just a moment, this is not the purpose of God for your life. God does not want people to be lonely. God's purpose is to come into a broken world and to take people and to make them alive and to bring them immediately into relationships with himself and with other people. And because of A lot of different factors that influence the world and the society that we live in today. For many, many people, even many of God's people, there are few or perhaps no people close to them. No people that we can be honest with. No people that we can trust or that we feel that we can trust with what is happening in our lives or what is happening in our hearts and minds. There are many, many people around us in the world, and no doubt around us in this building, who are deeply lonely. And that loneliness creates fear and anger and despair and all number of other things. Brothers and sisters, this is not the will of God for us or for anyone The future of the people of God is totally uninhibited, open, and honest community in the presence of God. And that's the direction that we're moving toward. And so prayer partnerships, it's important to have just a couple of people, two, three, maybe four. Because in this world that we live in today, which is not yet in heaven or in the eternal state, It is very difficult to be honest and open with six people or 10 people or 12 people. In some circumstances, you probably could, maybe if you're all in a war together or something. But absent that, prayer partnerships means just a few people so that we can be honest and open with each other. And thirdly, prayer partnerships are things that happen regularly, not occasionally. Regularly is a super key part of this. Because, of course, how can you be honest and open with someone if you only talk to them? Like, once? it was supposed to be once a month, but then I had that thing, and then she had that other thing, and so we had to reschedule it, and then it ended up being like, and the holidays. So we actually haven't prayed together in three months. How's it going? And you, there, you can't have an effective Honest, open, spiritual conversation uh, at that depth. You can do a lot of great things. But uh, you cannot rely on one another. And a partnership is a situation where people rely on one another. And so a prayer partnership is one where we rely on one another in prayer. When we meet together then, so we're talking about a partnership that is regular and honest. When we meet together, what is it that we do? What do we pray for? And here's where I want us to look in the scriptures as we finish up here. (coughs) Turn first to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. What do we pray for when we meet together for prayer? get together we're going to do a lot of things you're going to talk you're going to chat you're going to do all number of things and those are all good those things all help you to know each other and to know what's going on in people's lives but before too long we got to turn our attention in those moments to prayer somebody needs to say before the clock gets too far in well we should probably pray now because otherwise you run out of time so when you pray what are you going to pray for Let's look at what the Lord says here in Matthew 6. He says in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a phrase that we have never used before other than in the Lord's prayer. But what it means is, our Father in heaven, may your name be respected. May people honor your name. And then we can say may, we can have." that's the idea of may carrying forward in, in verse 10. May your kingdom come. May the rule of God come into being more and more fully in our lives and in our church. May we be in a place where when we come to church together, we see God's kingdom being worked out more now than it was six months ago or two years ago. And may your kingdom come completely into being while you sending your son, Jesus Christ, back to the earth. And may your will be done, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that we pray for is God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Because this is the core of the work that God is doing in the world. The work that God is doing in the world is to bring people and him back together totally estranged by sin. God is working to repair that through Jesus Christ. And so we start with those prayers. We start with those prayers also because they remind us of what's really going on. It's true that I have to take a trip and I need safety on that trip. And it's true that my daughter is sick. And it's true that my son is failing math class. And these are all like legitimate things that we should pray for, but not first. First, we should pray about the big purposes of God because those help to reset us. Think about what the Apostle Paul says when he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you should set your attention on things that are above. Right? Those things that are here on the earth below, they don't go away. It doesn't mean you should ignore them and become a monk. Sometime we can talk about why that's a terrible idea. But it means that first you have to have your attention on these things. And then we're going to pray also for practical needs. Look at what he says after that in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So what do you pray for when you meet with your party? You pray about God's kingdom and righteousness. And then, yeah, you're going to pray for the practical things that people have going on. You're going to pray in this way. Look over at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 helps us to get the complete concept of what God wants us to do in our prayers. When the apostle says this in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. There's three things that come out of this verse. The first one is that everybody has something that they are struggling with. And they have to struggle with it themselves. Each person must bear his own load. But the second thing that we see coming out of this verse is that God does not want that person to deal with it themselves alone. That's why he says, bear one another's burdens. And the third thing, and this is the most important thing that I want us to see, God intends for us to, to help one another and encourage one another and bear one another's burdens. And one of the most common burdens that we need to help one another bear is our own spiritual struggles. The apostle says, if anyone is overcome in some sin, help them, encourage them, right? Help to restore them. And so often, this only happens in like the most extreme version, right? It's like, wow, uh, did you hear Adam, like, shot a guy? Like, road rage incident? That was terrible. Adam, you can't be in the church anymore because you shot a guy. Right? Like, that's the level that it often happens at. But that is completely backwards. What the apostle is saying here is not, when someone sins, call the elders to, like, deal with it as an option of last resort. Look at how he begins this verse. He says, brothers, brothers. That means literally everybody in the church. Are you sitting next to someone who is having a spiritual struggle? Help them out. You sit down and you say, hey, what's going on this week, man? You see, you sit down with your friends and you say, ladies, what's going on this week? And somebody says, I am really having a hard time dealing with my son because he is driving me crazy. And instead of everyone being like, I know kids, right? Hey, yikes. Instead of that, what the apostle wants us to do is encourage one another. Say, like, hey, let's pray right now that God will give you strength to love your children and and not to be selfish in your response to them. Right? Say, what's going on? Well, I have this coworker, and, they, you know, he's just awful, and I, I you know, I... I I want to share the gospel with them, but I don't know what to say. Hey, let's pray right now that God would give you courage to speak the truth to this person and to do so in a way that's loving. This is what we need because at this moment when we're together with our prayer partners, we're thinking clearly. If we're being honest, we can think clearly for a moment. And then when we're in the difficulty, those prayers God intends to be transformative in our lives. But if we never have those conversations, how can anybody help us? This is the design of God for us. So what do we pray for? We pray for God's kingdom and righteousness. We pray for our practical needs, but we, we confess our sins and we speak the truth to each other and we welcome the truth from one another. Whether that truth is a confession or whether that truth is a restoration and encouragement. And that connects closely with what the apostle writes in 2nd Corinthians turn to 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 8 Paul says we don't want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction the trouble that we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself let's just like be really clear on that He's saying we were in so much trouble that we we really thought we were going to die. It was really bad. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us. He rescued us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So here again, we are looking at bearing burdens. But what we are talking about in this kind of burden bearing is not my own spiritual burdens, which are very important. We have to help one another carry those heavy burdens. But we have to help bear the burdens of brothers and sisters who are in serious trouble. And again, God wants us to support one another through these prayers. Do we pray for brothers and sisters that we have never met who are living in a war zone right now? It's not hard to find out what those places are. See them on the news. Do we pray for brothers and sisters who are enduring serious social persecution, families don't want to have anything to do with them, hard to keep a job because they're Christians? Do we pray for brothers and sisters who are who are remote from us physically but closely connected to us in Christ These are great things to do when we're with our partners because these help us it helps us to remind one another of the things that are happening around the world and of the large purposes that God has It helps to put, our own very real struggles and trials in a framework of the entire church, where it should be. And then, finally, I want us to look at Ephesians 3. Finally, when we meet together for prayer, we're meeting together to pray this way. The Apostle Paul prays in verse 14, I bow my knees, he says for this reason, which connects to what went before, but he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is this? This is a prayer for spiritual grace and encouragement. We're praying for the big things that God is doing and for the small needs that we have. We're praying for the spiritual needs that we have and the heavy burdens that other people have. But we also are praying for the great work of God for one another. And we're bringing the good news, the love of Jesus to one another week by week. Sometimes it is really hard to keep the love of Jesus Christ for you in perspective. And so God wants us to pray that together. He wants us to sit down together and say, God, I am so thankful that you love my brother here so much. God, I pray that you would help my sister and I to really understand and experience your grace in the way that you have for us. That kind of encouragement is necessary. You say, sometimes I just feel like I can't connect with it. Of course, that's why God put us together so that somebody else can do that for you when you can't. And so that you can do it for somebody else when they can't. There's tons we could say, but I'll leave it there. We're praying for these things in these ways. And then when when do we do this? Of course, we do it regularly. But when do we do this? And really, I would say, uh, this would be a wonderful thing for each one of us to consider. We're actually going to have a little survey up here. If we can, Pastor Nate was supposed to be here. We are supposed to talk about some of these things. Um, but there's a survey that we want to put up on the uh, projector during the, uh, during the time that we have afterwards to follow. And I would just encourage everyone here, <coughs> there's going to be a QR code, scan the QR code, answer the two questions that are there because it is our goal to help one another here at at Beaumont Baptist Church to help one another to do the work of God and to really grow in our relationships with one another through prayer, because we're convinced that this is the purpose of God for us. Um, And so that survey might help us to accomplish some of the simple practicalities of that, to get those things started. Um, And if you are already involved in something like this, then thank God for that and pray for all of us as we try to put these things into practice. Let's pray together.